This is the Amazing Education Podcast. Powered by the Ames Community School District, I'm your host, Eric Smith. On today's episode, we're joined by Principal Jonas Michael. We're going to have an amazing conversation about establishing positive building culture and the importance of giving students a voice in that process. Okay, Mr. Jonas Michael, thank you for joining us on the Amazing Education Podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I am very <laughs> excited about this um, this topic today. So when we started organizing this podcast, um, you know, we come up with a number of ideas of things that we could do. And this one, for myself, rose very high to the list, and you were the first person that I thought of for this topic. So I really appreciate that we can make this work. So what we're going to talk about today is establishing building culture and really how we take a look at that and, and address it within an individual building. And, and me personally, I think that you've done a great job on that. So let's talk about it. Let's do it. So I feel like building culture and climate is it's a choice. And a lot of times, you know, we have content and assessments on one side that we always spend a ton of time on. And yet, I think for some buildings across, you know, the nation, looking at climate and culture isn't always done. And why should it be done? Well, so in the simplest terms, right, Dr. Larry Lazad, he talks about, he, he, I don't know if you've heard this before, but you can have all the great structures in place, right? You can be yeah. achieving at high levels and all of those things. You can have the best strategies, but when you don't have the right culture, culture eats structures for breakfast. And what that means is that um, you can be, you can hire the best teachers, you can have um, the best materials and best programs, but if the culture isn't right, if the culture isn't healthy in the building, um, none of those things are going to be successful. You can't get initiatives off the ground and running when your culture isn't healthy. And so in many ways, I mean, from what I'm hearing you saying is that this should almost be the first thing that we're looking at. Um, and, and when you talk about that, are you talking about from a student perspective or from a staff perspective or both? Both. Both. Yeah, you want people to come to school every day um, and you want them to be in an environment that they feel welcomed in and yeah. loved. And that's both from a student and a staff perspective. I don't want teachers coming to work dreading the idea of having to walk into the building or being sick about teaching or working at my school. So the culture has to be healthy for them. And the same applies for our students. Yeah. They have to want to be at school. They have to love the environment in which they're working in or learning in. Yeah, ab absolutely. So how do we do that? So like, that's a big topic. And, and I'm 100% with you. I mean, we, we want people to come to work every day and, mm -hmm. and like they want to teach students and we want our students to be there wanting to learn and, and be in the classroom. So what are some things that we look at um, maybe now that we're in the beginning of the school year that we can then implement? Yeah. So first, you got to get somewhat of a temperature of where your building is. Yeah. So if I can backtrack a little bit about my story. Yeah. I used to work in AIM, so I kind of had an understanding of where the cultures were, or yeah. at least a perception. Mm -hmm. Let me 
of where the culture was at different buildings within the district. But I moved away. And when I moved away, I left all of that behind me. And then I got a phone call saying, hey, we need you, right? Like, yeah. we want you to come and lead this building. And immediately what I thought was, to the time when I used to work in the building that I'm mm-hmm. currently leading in, right? I, I used to be a counselor at the building that I'm leading in. And I thought about the culture that I remembered from when I was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to put some context in place, it was a year after the district had to make about $3 million in cuts. Oh, man. And I believe there was about nine teachers that were cut from the middle school alone. So I walked into a building, and I didn't even know this, right? I mean, I knew there was cuts, but yeah. I didn't realize um, the magnitude of how the staff felt until I walked into that building. Yeah. And when I walked into that building, it was heavy, right? People were upset, they were angry, they felt betrayed, all of those things. And that had an impact on the day-to-day interactions that we had yeah. with our school community, with our students, our families, with each other. So that was where I drew my... Um, yeah where this is how I last left Ames Middle School. And so fast forward, clearly um, something must have happened that they would have to have a change in leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I had to start thinking about, well, what, is, what does that mean about the culture of the building? Um, and so I had to kind of quickly get an understanding of where we were as a building. And so we did staff surveys. Mm-hmm. We Um, studied where we were as a building and our building through our surveys and stuff like that we landed at um, as a building we were functioning in a balkanized way and so we had cliques of teachers that were um, working together really um, well but as a whole we didn't know each other we didn't know each other we didn't work together um, as a whole building together so we really needed to address that so we were very intentional trying to figure out what the culture was so that we can develop a plan for how we were going to address it and I would imagine that part of it was the the survey part of it, but also a lot of it was you're probably constantly taking observations, whether mm-hmm. you're very specific about culture or not. You're, you're, you're taking with that lens mm-hmm. of, of looking at the culture of the building mm-hmm. and applying those conversations that you're having. I mean, even probably to this day, the mm-hmm. conversations that you're having, mm-hmm. that's fascinating. That, that's an incredible backstory. So when we think about students... How do we engage our students socially at school? Because we know how, we always talk about academically how we're engaging students at school. How, how do we engage them socially at school as well and make them want to come to school? Because you know you already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. We want them to, to want to come to school and be excited mm-hmm. about being in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. So that, so for me, that's where the magic happens, right? Um, we want students to feel welcomed and loved and come to school and be engaged and all of those things. And so, um, number one, and I'm a firm believer in this, we need to have student voice in the process, uh-huh. right? And I needed to hear from them early on how they viewed the school. And when I gathered their perception, and I'm saying perception because this is them telling me this is how I feel. Like yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have strong data at the time. But when I gathered their perception, Um, What I found is that they felt, um, for the most part, they felt like there needed to be some changes regarding safety in the school, right? So some kids were not feeling safe to come to school. Mm -hmm. And so when we dug more into that, we were able to kind of 
unlayer what they really meant by that. And so unsafe doesn't mean like I'm going to be physically harmed. It meant like there just wasn't a lot of structure in the hallway, right? And so kids didn't feel comfortable with transitioning. And so sometimes they waited for the the hallways to clear up a little bit before they, but then they become late. And so like just those little things, you just have to kind of figure out what is it that they were really trying to mean by they say safety. They didn't really necessarily um, weren't concerned with like their physical safety. They were just talking about little things that made them feel unsafe. So anyways, so you just get their student, uh, get the student voice involved. And from there, um, empowering them to voice when they see things that are um, not right, right? And so I gave them the platform to say, hey, you can email me and trust me. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. They took me up on that offer, right? Yeah. And so empowering them to say, like, your voice is important in the process. So if there's something that you see that you need to draw attention to, email me. And right immediately, once students know that they had access to me that way, they started to report things and they started to feel more safe. And they started to feel like, okay, I have ownership in this school. This is my school too. And so it's my responsibility to take care of it. And because I have ownership, I also then also have to think about what can I do to make this school a better place. And so they started to plan activities and trying to um, make the school a place that's more welcoming for other students. And so advocating for other students, um, giving suggestions about how um, the school can be more fun for students or um, more accepting of students. So just really giving them that ownership um, was a key component for me. This is incredibly fascinating. the messaging that you're also sending the students is is we're hearing you mm-hmm. like thank you because i think you could have probably taken an approach of just pulling adults in the building and they would say well this is good and this is good and this is how we do this mm-hmm. when in fact that may not be the case you know mm-hmm. for for our students actually the most important people on our building that's not their reality mm-hmm. that's incredibly so what was the feat did, did in addition to getting the feedback on how to improve did you ever get a sense of how that impacted students um, from a from a feedback standpoint? Like, did they did they love this? Do they continue to do it today? Yeah, so they do. Um, but I think what it did was empower them more than anything, right? Yeah. So when when I first started, the very first group of people I met with was, was our student leadership council, mm-hmm. and I asked them, "What are some things that you would like to see continue happening? What are some things that you would like to see stopped immediately? Mm-hmm. Or what are some things that we need to start doing?" Right? And they gave me that feedback. Yeah, and I was able to leverage buy-in from them by just immediately addressing some of their small, what I believe to be small concerns, right? So they shared with me, we think it's dumb. This, this their yep, yep. We think this is dumb that kids are getting in trouble for wearing their hats and hoodies. It's becoming this big issue, and we just don't understand the reason why. Yeah. And very quickly, within the first week, I lifted that. Um, rule or policy. It mm-hmm. wasn't really a policy. It was, I guess, a, a school, practice school rule. Yeah. And I lifted that and I was able to buy agency with them right away from that. It right. was so minor, but you should have seen how they celebrated when we announced it. Of course, we put some expectations in place, yeah. right? Safety is always number one. Yep. So when you're in science lab, for example, you might not want to wear your hat or hoodie. And right. this is the reason why yeah. your hair can get, you know, it can obstruct your vision. You know, yeah. once you explain it to them, they were able to take it. And guess what? We were no longer sending kids out of the classroom because they had a hat on. We were no longer, you know, writing referrals because a kid refused to put off their hoodie. 
these were simple things that we were able to adjust very quickly and the novelty of it wore off very quickly. Sure. So yeah. the kids who were wearing hats and hoodies before are the same kids who are still wearing hats and hoodies. The majority of the kids on day one and day two had their hats and hoodie on in celebration and solidarity, but the novelty wore off because you sure. know they were like, oh, this is messing up my hair and this is, so they yeah. let it go. And so we continued on, it wasn't this big issue. It's not an issue, it hasn't been an issue since. But I bought agency with them. They felt heard, and they felt like, okay, this is a person who's advocating for us, so let's give in when he's asking a little bit from us. So I find it to be completely fascinating. On on a previous podcast, we talked about understanding like the realities of where we're at in this world and how that applies in our buildings. And it seems common sense, but to know that whether a student wears a hoodie or a hat, that doesn't really change how they learn. Mm-mm. It it doesn't. And so understanding that and then being like, yep, this doesn't make sense. It, it does a number of things. Are there any other examples that you can think of like right away that, that you took from student suggestions at all? So when you think, so let's step out of education for a yeah. moment, right? When you think about any business model, when people are trying to increase their profits or increase satisfaction, they always have the consumers in mind and they always gain insight from yeah focus groups or whatever, because the consumers are the people that they need to satisfy. The same applies in education. We don't always give students an opportunity to provide feedback on what they want or what they expect from their learning experience. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm trying to recreate here, is getting our consumers, who are our students, a voice at the table to make decisions about their learning. So that's really where I'm at with it. I mean, simply put, (laughs) they they should have a right to have a say and how they're learning and what that learning looks like. So what does, I'll step back a second. Building culture is always a growth area. It's always something that we need to look at and and address because things are gonna come up, but things ebb ebb and flow. I mean, the school year's long. So with that, what does having a a healthy building culture, what does that look like in the classroom? Yeah, so, It's a place where we nurture student growth. Um, It's a place where students can feel comfortable with making mistakes um, and knowing that they're being supported. It's a place where um, students are engaged. It's a place where the teacher is facilitating the learning and they're not the sage on the stage per se. Yeah. Um, it's an environment. You can feel it. You can feel it. When you walk into a space, you can feel like, this is where I want to learn. Yep. That's really, in my, and it, it, when you think about good culture in a classroom too, it's also some of the beliefs that people hold within that space, mm-hmm. um, the practices that are happening within that space. Um, and again, it all, when you, it all focuses back on, again, nurturing that student growth. Yeah. And the students feel supported. Did they feel like, um, when I when I accidentally make an error here, that it's okay, that learning happens in those errors. That's how I would define culture within the classroom. So when both of us, when we were studying to come into education, we were in college. Um, again, I mentioned this on a previous podcast. When I was learning to be, be a teacher, I was a content person first. And I feel that shift changing where, uh, and I've heard it from a number of people that, you know, I'm not a history teacher. I'm not an I'm not an English teacher. I'm a teacher of students. I'm teaching mm-hmm. students first. And so, what do we have to 
what do the teachers of today, you know, who who may be in college and aspiring to be educators, what skill set do they need to have it as it relates to building culture and climate and, and working with students? I kind of, so when I think about the hiring process, right, yeah. I always, when I work with my team, I always say, you know what, we can always teach content. We can always teach good teaching pedagogy, right? Mm-hmm. We can teach people how to be um, skilled in the area of um, being able to teach a lesson and all that. What we can't teach is people caring about students. And sometimes we overlook that. Um, If you don't care, so there's that saying, have you heard this? Um, Students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I love it. And that's really what what I look for when I'm, you know, content is important. So those are things we can learn, right? Content is acquired knowledge. We can teach those things. I can't teach someone to care. I can't teach someone to love a, a child unconditionally or support a child. I can't teach that. Either you have it or you don't. But I can teach the content. I can teach what good pedagogy looks like. I can teach what good instruction looks like and sounds like. So you have to have the heart for it. Otherwise, it can be um, seen a million miles away. Angela Venzuela talks about the need to have authentic relationships. And in her research, it shows that children as young as four years old knows when their teacher does not like them, as young as four years old. So sometimes people think we can just fake it. And students know when their teachers don't like them. Mm -hmm. And the results of that is detrimental when we look at test scores and when we look at what's happening in the classroom because why do I want to learn from someone who doesn't care about me? I'm going to work hard for people that I know have my back, that support me, that care about me. That's what I'm looking for. So I guess if that's the advice I'm going to give to to new teachers is make sure that when you're getting in this field that it's it's not just about teaching. It's about all those other components that um, we look for, which is caring and um, being someone that's there for children. I've always said, so my my previous experience in education was working with at-risk youth, and I knew very early on that they have a and, and you're already said by by four years old so I was working with high school students that they very clearly knew what teachers cared and what teachers didn't care and they understood like teachers who get it so you know I worked with a lot of challenging behaviors and and I I was part of helping address some of those behaviors and yet I always felt like a lot of those students that I may have been tough on they were good with it because they knew my place. I wasn't just doing it to do it. I was doing it to, to help them. And, you know, you follow up and, and they just get that sense. Like they're very smart. And sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know that we always give students that credit for being mm-hmm. a, as smart as they are. So how then do we, and you as a leader of a building, balance building culture with addressing student behaviors? Because, you know, you're in a middle school, middle schoolers do middle school type things, all students. And, and so how do you make that, have that balance? So I want to be clear about something. Having a healthy school culture does not eliminate troublesome behavior. That's a good point. So troublesome behavior happens um, no matter what the culture of your building is. I think what we need to do is shift the thinking. So by shifting, if you so if you have an unhealthy school culture, what happens is is that there's often blame placed on the student, right? It's the student's fault. If the student comes to school attentive, if they come to school 
with prior background knowledge, if they come to school doing what I tell them to do, then we have no problem. They'll learn. And so the blame is placed on the student. But if we shift the thinking and if we, have, if we shift our culture to a healthy one, what people, educators that are in a healthy culture will do is say, let's attack the problem. Let's give them the skills that they need to be able to be successful, right? Let's, let's, I mean, if I go back a little bit, sorry. We want, those characteristics aren't bad things, right? Yeah. We want students to be, pay attention. Yep. We want them to have prior background knowledge. We yep. want them to follow the school rules. Yeah, those are good characteristics to have. But in a healthy school culture, what we would do is identify where is it that they're lacking and let's put supports in place to be able to build them up so that they can be successful rather than just blaming them like, we did our part, they just didn't learn, it's on them. So it's just shifting our thinking and shifting our culture to be able to better respond to our students. Troublesome behavior is gonna happen. <laughs> Whether you have the best culture in the building or not, yeah. right? It's just how we respond to it. So, is shifting this behavior, or shifting this mindset, is that part of establishing a positive culture? In your, and uh, I'm talking about staff. Mm -hmm. Is this difficult? It's not easy. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think if you look at what schools across the country have done. Um, you would see that oftentimes what happens is that they come in, leaders come in, and they start to address the structures, mm -hmm. right? They start to address the instruction. Mm -hmm. uh, what does the best practices say? Um, because we know how to do those things. What's hard is shifting the culture of a building. Yeah. And that's why we tend to do the structure work first, the, proto the protocols and the procedures. That's why we work on that because that's what we're comfortable with and that's what we know how to do. Sure. The culture work is very hard. And so I know, so when you look at organizational theory, um, what they would say, it's much more a linear process. They would say focus on the culture first so that you can support those structural changes, so that you can support the strategies you're putting in place yeah. um, because that's where the hard work happens. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question. I think so. I'm going to go back to something that you said um, a little bit ago. I would imagine that building capacity across staff and, and specifically in a building that you're leading is understanding and then articulating the why, especially if there's a fundamental change that, that may be difficult to understand mm -hmm. for, for people is, well, this is why. Mm -hmm. And... I think that can provide some clarity and then some insight as far as the the vision for for moving the building as far as the culture. Would you? I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, and that's the other hard part is building that vision. Yeah. Right. So, I've been in buildings before where there was no vision, so I didn't know where I was, what I was aiming for. And so, that's, yeah. But that's part of the culture work, right? And so, as a leader, I have to build that culture and I have to build that vision so that I can t point to where we're trying to head as a building. Yeah. And so, our focus this. This school year, for example, has really been around the culture building, and that's where we came up with our theme, Better Together, right? I love it, by the way. Yeah, and so, I mean, we didn't, you know, other people have used that theme, but we, we really wanted to send the message, like, what is it that we're working towards as a team, as a school? Yeah. And what I loved about it, about this theme, is that, um, and I think that speaks to the changing culture in my building specifically, I didn't ask anyone to rally around 
this idea of better together. I just said, this is our theme. And when I've done walkthroughs in classrooms, yep. the majority of the classroom teachers have on their bulletin boards something about better together. Sure. And so they're already wrapping around this idea that, yes, when we all work together, we can accomplish great things. And so I've, the feel of my building is very different from where it was when I walked in last yeah. year. And so I have never worried about the academics. I have not worried about the instruction because it's happening at high level. We have a mm -hmm. high skill set amongst our students, and we have highly qualified teachers who can teach them. Yeah. So I don't worry about the academics as much. We're still responsible for it. <laughs> We can't let that go. Right. But what I was concerned about was the work environment for our teachers and also the learning environment for our students. We needed to have that in balance. One, does, one is not higher than the other. We have to have that balance in order for it to be successful. So with the, with the Better Together, and it could be any number of things for you know, any building and, and school district, it's that, it's that something to latch on to. Mm -hmm. And so what is, you've seen it in classrooms. Have you gotten additional feedback from staff or, or students about, or, or even just seen it, maybe not gotten the feedback, but, but seen results of that? Not only can you see it, you feel it. I'm not making this up. I, I remember um, a few weeks ago, we even had district um, maintenance staff in our building who said they've worked in this district for many years and they've noticed the difference. I have teachers every single day say, this has been the best start of the school year I've ever experienced. I've had people say that I'm excited to come to work. I'm excited to come <laughs> to work. I am. Yeah. I, that wasn't the feeling I had last year. It was, okay, this is, you know, here's another day of battle. Here's another day of yep. where I have to grind really hard. Mm -hmm. I wake up every single morning excited. I, you know, the fact that I'm here and not in my building <laughs> saddens me. Like, that's how different it feels in my building. That's, that's good feedback. Yeah. And so I hear it from our students. Yep. I hear it from our families. I got, when I was out voting for that special election the other day, yep. a parent stopped me and said, I just want to thank you. Like, and it's not, I, I, I understand what they're trying to say, yep. but what, I, what they're saying is the school is amazing. Our school is amazing. And so I feel it. I see it. You see the way students walk around the building. You see how staff are smiling. People I've never seen smile that are <laughs> smiling all the time. Like, you, it's, it's beyond anecdotal data. It's, you see it. You feel yeah. it. All of that thing. All those things are happening. Well, we've already talked about tons of amazing things. Mm -hmm. But as you know, you know, we are in education is amazing. Mm -hmm. And you're feeling it every day. Is there anything else you want to share that's amazing from your world of education? So we're in a very interesting time politically and socially, right? Yep. Um, and I would say the reason why this is amazing for me, uh, when you look at me physically, um, you can see some things about my identity, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a black male. And there was a time where I would not, uh, I would feel uncomfortable drawing attention to the fact that I'm the only black person or um, talk about my race. Not that because I wasn't proud of it. Um, but because we're in a space where we can have some conversations about that. And why that's important is because we're in a place and time where social justice and equity work is becoming the norm of um, um, our schoolwork, right? Yeah. And we're recognizing that we are leaving um, large numbers of students, marginalized students, behind. Yeah. And we're being called out on it by our community. Mm -hmm. We are being... Um, um, more cognizant about the practices and policies we have in place that has traditionally um, disenfranchised students. 
Um, and so what's exciting for me is that as a district and as a community, um, we're in a time where we're calling those things out and we're actively working together to be able to problem solve and address so that all students really can succeed. Because we had some things in place that was making that hard. Yeah. And we're day by day, I mean, still, even within my own building, we're unlayering some policies and procedures or practices that have taken place that have left people out from being able to fully engage yep. at school. Um, and now we're at the place where we're saying, we can call this out and we need to address it. Um, so that's, to me, that's what's amazing, is that we're, we're in a space now where, um, and when I look at my colleagues, they don't look like me, right? Yeah. And they're the ones who are leading the work. They're the ones who are that's saying awesome. that's part of the work, yeah. that, that's the responsibility I hold as a leader in this district, and that it's important for us to move forward to be able to support our students that look different from us. And, you know, and, and advocate for them, yeah. leveraging their own privileges. So um, I can speak about that now, but I would say as short as three years ago, that wasn't a conversation that I could hold. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you coming on. We could fill up an entire another episode. I'm certain of that. So again, thank you for being willing to to come on and talk about this. I think the work you're doing is absolutely amazing. Well, I appreciate the compliments, but it really is a team effort. Good. And that team that I have behind me at the middle school is phenomenal. And that's why I'm able to be as successful as I am as a leader because of the team that we have back there. And I'm talking about administrators and teachers. Truly amazing things happening at Amos Middle School. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep.